Amen. I'll, I'll check it out for Orson and Jeanette. Anybody know Orson and Jeanette? Okay, check this out. Well, one day, uh, apparently as a new bride, Jeanette, uh, uh, she moved into her home with her husband, Orson. Robert, by the way, pay attention because that's what you're supposed to do when you get married. You get, okay, okay, right? So that's what Jeanette did. She moved into her home with Orson, her new husband. And, and one of the very first things she did was uh, she put this uh, shoebox up on a shelf in her closet. And she asked uh, her husband, Orson, don't ever, 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 ever touch this thing, right? So, well, for 50 years, man, Orson, he left that box alone. Until one day, Ron, he found that box again. But this time he thought, man, that thing's been up there 50, 50 years. There's got to be something important in that. So he's a guy. He opens that thing up. And what he found was two handkerchiefs. Just two handkerchiefs and $82,500 in cash. Yeah. And so, so he takes the box. He goes over to Jen and, and uh, asks her about these contents in the box there. And she says this. She says, well, she said, my mother gave me that box the day we got married. And uh, she told me that I should make a handkerchief uh, to help ease my frustrations every time I got mad at you. His horse, and he was touched. He says, man, oh, in 50 years, in 50 years that she'd only been mad at him only twice. And, and then he, he asked, well, what's the $82,500 for? And Jeanette replied, well, that's the money I made selling the handkerchiefs. <laughs> at three cents a piece. Now, hopefully this doesn't correlate with why they're not here today, but how many guys would say that uh, Orson, he kind of learned the hard way. His eyes got open to the reality of his relationship there. You know what I'm saying? There is kind of, you know, the 82 grand gives it away. But, uh, but folks, once again, believe it or not, I see this uh, same kind of eye-opening experience uh, happening to Christians all the time. And it's not in their earthly marriage. It's in their spiritual marriage, if you will, with Jesus Christ. And listen, it's not when they find out that their spouse apparently has been mad at them the whole time. It's when they consider hanging out with God uh, as if that were a bad time. Can you believe that? I wonder how many handkerchiefs God is making up top with us, okay? And so again, this is the obvious question. How in the world did it ever get this way? How in the world did it become a detriment uh, to spend time with God, the creator of the universe? Okay, and again, you put it in the context. I mean, as Christians, it didn't start off that way, did it? Uh, of course not. I mean, when we first got saved, we, we, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We, we, we long for God. We love God. So what in the world happened, okay? Well, folks, what we've been seeing or study is what I've learned over the years is simply when we lose sight of one thing. And that one thing is what we have in Jesus Christ, what he did die on the cross for, and that is a loving, beautiful, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what he died on the cross for, folks, not some dry, stale religion. As we've been seeing, I've learned that, folks, once we lose sight of that as a Christian, it doesn't take long. It's just like that overnight, your once vibrant walk with Jesus Christ just turned into some dry, stale, boring, goofy, man-made religion called churchianity. Okay? Have you seen that thing before? Ugh. That's a horrible, wretched disease. Churchianity, not Christianity, not a relationship, but this religious thing, this Christian religious thing, bleh, okay, called churchianity. Okay, it's a horrible, deadly disease that's infecting the American church. So to stave off this disease from you and I getting infected with it, here at Sunrise, we're going to continue in our study, Renewing Your Faith. Okay, it's time to renew your faith. And what we're doing in this study is we're revisiting the so-called basics of Christianity, why we do the things that we do, except this time we're looking at it through a renewed set of eyes. We're looking at it again for what it is supposed to be, a relationship 
with the creator of the universe. And the first basic thing we got reacquainted with through a new set of eyes was a renewed prayer life. Okay? Through the eyes of a relationship. The last two times, if you were here, we saw the second thing was a renewed worship life. Okay? And what we saw, folks, that worship, i.e. singing love songs to God, that's all it is, okay, is common sense, okay? You don't have to be super duper talented. You don't have to be some secluded monk, okay? And when you get around to it, it's from the heart. It's not about entertaining other people at all. It's not some boring ritual. It's not all about you. And it's not a time to just stand there and go, nothing comes out of your mouth. It's just like in a normal relationship when you're in love with somebody, music is huge. And so you want to sing them that love song. Okay? That's the same thing when it comes to uh, God. We're just expressing our daily passionate love affair with God through music and song just like in a normal relationship. Okay? That's what gets rid of the churchianity disease. Okay? The third basic thing that we're going to take a look at now, okay, if we're going to get rid of this churchianity stuff, this disease is a renewed service. Okay, turn to somebody and say, it's time to serve Jesus Christ. Okay, a renewed service. That, that's another thing that we Christians do, right? You're supposed to pray, and, and, and you're supposed to worship God, and you're supposed to do something, right? Well, let's take a look at why we do uh, serve Jesus Christ. I think it's pretty uh, common sense when you look at the context. Open your Bibles to Matthew 20, and uh, Matthew chapter 20, and Jesus is going to talk about the importance of serving, and... Uh, Notice it's, uh, as we get in the context here, it's not an option. Not something for you to think about and ponder over a cup of coffee. It's, believe it or not, that it's not a time to, well, let's launch a committee to figure out if we really need to serve in the first place. No. It's like the one guy, he said, he said hey, praise God, for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. Okay? He sent his son, somebody to do it. Okay? Uh, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 20. Let's grab the context here uh, of why we need to serve. Let's take a look there. And uh, verse 20, and uh, here's what's going on here. It says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him, Jesus. And so Jesus said, What is it you want? And she said, Grant one of these uh, two sons of mine uh, that may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, Yeah, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Now when the ten heard this, the rest of the disciples, they had this private discussion, two of them, okay, and brought their mom in on it, okay. He said this, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant uh, with the two brothers. And so Jesus called them all together and he says, hey, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. He says what? Not so with you. It's different. He said instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is a wild passage here, folks, when you put it in this context. First of all, Jesus uh, gives us some great news here, okay? He said, uh, if you're going to be doing great things for the kingdom of God, does anybody as a born-again Christian want to do anything of any kind of greatness for the kingdom of God? Please raise your hand. Actually, that wasn't too bad. Uh, that's a pretty good response there, okay? And, and so he says, that's the good news. So the potentiality is there. 
He fills in the blank and he gives us the answer, okay? So if we're going to do something truly significant for the kingdom of God, what do we got to get busy doing? Serving. He says it right there, okay? He says, whoever wants to become great among you, listen, he didn't say it was an option. It's an imperative. He must become your servant. You must become your slave. If this is going to happen, if you as a born-again Christian are going to do something significant for Christ, for his kingdom, you must serve. It's common sense, right? How many guys wish that you could just sit at home and all you do is you just sit there all day and periodically you just open up your checkbook and watch how it just automatically grows. Isn't this awesome? Woo, it jumped up 500 bucks in five minutes. I'll close it. How many guys wish it would happen that way? No, if something's going to go in there, you must go to work. You must do something, right? It's the same thing with the kingdom. You must do it, okay? And listen, what did Jesus say? He didn't say uh, it wasn't something just to do. He said here in the context, it's something that he himself did do. In other words, he led the way by example. He's not asking us to do something that he himself didn't do. But here's what's different. He did do something amazing. First of all, you put this in the context. Who is Jesus? Who is saying this? Who is speaking this to us? This is God. This is the creator of the universe. And he says, listen, I'm not just coming. But I am coming to not be served. But I am coming to serve. Now put it in this context. We'll get into this a little bit later. But who is he coming to serve? Us. Who has rebelled against him. Who hated him. And ultimately the very people that he knows is coming are going to murder him. That's the context. Now, here's the point. Hey, wasn't that a great thing for Jesus to do? Yeah. We bank our salvation on it, right? And so that's why he says, no wonder. He says, if you follow in my servants and you become a servant like me, here's the good news, Christian. Then your life is also going to become great like mine. Greater work shall ye do in my name. He does not through us as Christians even today. We become his vessels. Isn't that awesome? Does anybody remember how absolutely futile life was before a Christian? How dark and how deceptive and drudgery. It was just the same old same thing. You get up, you go to bed, you do this, you go to that. Same old thing. It's just vanity of vanities. The, the, the repetition of all the, the vainness of life and all that stuff. And so here Jesus says, no more. If you're a Christian. If you get busy serving in my name. Listen Christian. Your life becomes eternally significant. And I'll do something fantastic through you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, just being saved is cool. But now he could use us to do something that lasts forever? Something significant? This is great news. And so here's my point. Surely that's what we're doing, right? As Christians here on earth. I mean, praise God, every time we get an opportunity to serve, uh, we recognize, here it is, another opportunity for this life to become significant for Jesus. We jump at the chance, sign me up. Now, for those of you wondering, that noise is supposed to be some sort of a game buzzer, game show, wrong answer. That's all I can come up with. Maybe we can get a little sound bite next week to help me out there, okay? Uh, no, unfortunately, that's not usually the case, okay? Uh, let's be honest, folks. When it comes to serving, ask to help, do something, you know, say, hey, you need to get a servant's heart. Most of us, when people say, hey, you got a servant's heart, you know, uh, we take it like it's an insult, Okay? Like they just said something derogatory towards us. Okay? Like this guy shares. Let's take a look. Yeah, no, Christians, they use language sometimes and like, like code. It's like it doesn't mean what we're saying. 
we have this, this phrase, servant's heart. You ever hear that phrase, servant's heart? I hear that all the time. Tim, you got a servant's heart, dude. You have got a servant's heart. See, I hate it when somebody says I got a servant's heart. It means they want me to start stacking chairs. You know. Servant's heart means you're a pushover and a loser. That's what servant's heart means. Tim, you got a servant's heart. So's your mama. You know what I'm talking about? No. You got a servant. No. Bring it. Bring it. No time, pal. Folks, that joke is funny because what? It's true. Okay, it's true. It's just like for some reason we got, I don't know if it's an Americana thing or what. A servant. Uh, and certainly don't say slave. Uh, uh, but to what? Ah! But here, here's, here's the point, folks. What did Jesus say? Listen, Jesus, in our, we just read it. He didn't say if you got a servant's heart, you're a pushover. Hey, that, here's some good news. I've come to tell all of you guys. Stop arguing, disciples. You become a servant just like me. You become a loser. He didn't say that. He said, this is the pathway to do something truly significant. You're not a loser if you're a servant of Christ. You're a winner. Your life can become truly significant for the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. That's what he said. So let's dispel that attitude. And let's get back to a renewed sense of service. And let's look at it through the eyes of a relationship. And I'm telling you, once we do, it makes common sense why we serve God. And what it's all about, okay? And so that's the first question we need to ask ourselves. Okay, let's get back to that renewed services. All right, then why do we do it? Why do we do it? I could stop at just that graphic. That's why we do it. Hello. Okay, let's take a look at the context here. John 19, this uh, answers it for us, I believe. Uh, John 19, verse 16 through 18, 23 and 28 through 30 says, Finally, Pilate handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side of Jesus, uh, Jesus in the middle. Now when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is what? Finished. Praise God. And with that, he, Jesus, bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's done. Mission accomplished. So, based on our context here, folks, let me see if I can translate what I believe is the common sense appropriate response to the question we pose, why do we serve Jesus? Well, let me see if I can get it as blunt as I can. Because he died for us. <laughs> Hello? Because he rescued us from eternal damnation and hell, that's why. This is what Jesus meant when he said in our previous passage that he came, he came to serve. Alright, fill in the blank. He filled it in for us. How did he come to serve? He came to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. That's us. In other words, he says, here's what I'm doing. I am going to come and die for you. This is how he served us. Notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm coming to serve. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to buy you a car. You know what I'm saying? No, I'll tell you what. No, I'm coming to serve. And uh, I, I, I'm going I'm to build you a house. Okay, that'll work, yeah. But in the short term. 
But he says, I came to give my life as a ransom. Listen, he came to take the death penalty in our place so he could have a house that lasts forever and a place beyond our wildest dreams. Isn't that way better? Okay, that's why we should serve him. Okay? And folks, here's my point. I'm telling you, if you just look at this through the eyes of a normal relationship, okay? I mean, it's, you're, uh, uh, you're visiting Niagara Falls and you do the guy thing and you get too close to the edge and you decide to get into water like the baptism. That was two degrees. And, and, but it's too late. You're heading towards the falls and you're, whoo! And somebody just had me walking by at the right time, at the right place. And they pulled, they didn't have to. They could have watched you go, whoo! They pulled you out at the last minute. They get you safely on shore there, and they're still standing there and just saying, hey, you okay? You all right? What's your normal, logical, common sense response to that guy? Dude, can I take you out to lunch? All it, it won't be KFC. Uh, trust me. It's going to be a steak place. I'll shine your shoes. Can I wash your car? Can I do... Right? That's a, that's a normal response. Jesus saved us from something infinitely worse than Niagara Falls. He saved us from hell forever. And when you look at it through a relationship, it's common sense, Right? When we understand that, when we don't forget what he's done for us, it's like, Jesus, can I do something for you? Can, can I serve? Can I shine your shoes? Can I stack those chairs? I'll stack chairs. Nobody can stack chairs like me. I'll stack them. So stack a lot, right? Stack a source Rex. Stack a Reno, right? And when you look at this through the eyes of a relationship, when somebody gives their life for you, normal response, normal response, like it was for this brother. Check this out. It's 5.30 a.m. in the waiting room at the University of Colorado Hospital. Ryan Arnold and his brother Chad are in good spirits. Their mom and dad and their wives all there for support. They're quickly prepped for surgery as Ryan prepares to donate part of his liver to Chad, who's overcome with emotion. Yeah, it's a, it's a very humbling experience. As he recalls the day he learned his brother Ryan was a match. He said, I'm a match. And you, you feel a lot of things. Um, relief, um, gratefulness to God and to him. And I think after that, you wrestle with a lot of you know, guilt. Like, I really don't want to bring him through this, but he shut me up pretty fast. He said, well, you'd do the same thing for me, wouldn't you? Chad, who is 38, has PSC, a disease of the liver for which there's no cure. His condition was deteriorating, and he needed a liver fast. A living donor was his only hope. So Ryan stepped in. You know, I love Chad. You know, he's my brother, and uh, he's got a lot of life left to live. Um, I'm healthy and I know I'll stay healthy. I know I'm going to recover and I want to see him, you know, do the things he wants to do and be able to spend his time with his family and want to have him around for a long time. There are few words as the brothers say goodbye. Ryan's surgery is first. A team of doctors carefully removes 60% of his healthy liver while Chad patiently waits. I think the thing I've learned through all this is that, you know, God writes the story. It's not my story to write. Ryan's the hero and I'm just playing my part. It's kind of how it's coming to me and he's just a hero. While that may be so, it's not what happened this time. 
Just two days after surgery, Ryan went into cardiac arrest and was placed on life support. He died two days after that, on August 2nd. Chad is now recovering at home. He's tired and weak, but doing well. He describes how he first learned of his brother's death. But my dad just leaned forward and he just said, you know, um, I've got some bad news. You know, he was holding back the tears, but he just said, i got some bad news. You know, Ryan's, Ryan's gone, but we still serve a good God. I think, uh, couldn't have said it better. Ryan gave Chad the gift of life. It is the ultimate sacrifice, but he'd do it again. A gift which led to his own death. Because of that, Chad refuses to place the focus on himself. It's a story about a man who's deeply convicted by his faith. And uh, because of that, what he did for me, was sort of a normal thing that he did for people. While there's a huge scar on the outside, there's also one on the inside. Chad is committed to living his life the way Ryan lived his, with faith, compassion, and humility. You get a little glimmer in his eyes, and he always say that, you know, we can do this. And I can because I know that's that's not only what he'd want, that's what he'd do. Real life situation. Real brothers. What was the natural instantaneous response of the brother who survived towards his brother who gave his life literally for him to live. No, nobody had to write him a letter. He didn't go to a church service and hear a sermon. I don't even think he had time to go online with all due respect and read an article. What was his natural instantaneous response? To serve to do something, to live his life now like his brother lived in sacrifice for him. To keep his brother, the focus isn't about him, to keep the focus on his brother and the amazing faith and work that he did. Folks, can I tell you something? In a nutshell, that's what Jesus has done for us. Okay, this is why we should serve him. This is the same exact natural response, okay? It's not because we have to. It's not because we're told to. It's not because I preached a sermon on it. It's not because of any of that stuff. It's a natural, instantaneous response, just like in a normal relationship. They rescued you. They saved your life. Can I do something? It ain't about me. It's about your great act, your great deed. And this is what Jesus has done. Now, now flip it around. Flip it around into that actual real-life scenario, those two brothers, and the brother that survived. And we watched after the, his brother's death, they put the cameras back on him again, interview him one more time. There are no tears, no nothing. And they ask him, well, how do you feel about your brother uh, giving his life? Can you imagine if the surviving brother said, 
What are you messing with that for? I ain't got time to talk about my brother. Brother who? My, my brother's keeper? Come on. Why should I talk about him? Why should I serve him? What's the big deal? Listen, listen, I got a life to live down here. What's the big deal? Now, if, can you imagine if he really did that? What would you say about that brother? Some brother. Yeah, you're real grateful. I bet you the rest of the family's glad he sacrificed his life for you. Folks, we're doing the same thing. When we do nothing but come up with a whole giant list of excuses as to why we can't serve Jesus Christ. Infinitely more so. And then when you put it in the context of what Jesus has done for us, You see, the Bible's very clear. Jesus Christ did not die for his brother whom he loved dearly. Listen to what the scripture says who Jesus died for. Romans chapter 5, this is amazing, verse 6 through 10. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. You know, like your own brother whom you love dearly, like that video. I can see that. But listen, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Now, since we've been justified now by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's what? Enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? This is what's so mind-blowing, folks. And this is what should be one of the most amazing truths in the Bible to motivate us to jump at the chances, stack chairs. I don't care what you want me to do. And the Bible says, listen, Jesus died on the cross to provide the absolute total forgiveness of all of our sins, rescues from hell, take us into heaven too. Not his buddies, not his friends. But for you and I, before we got saved, considered in the eyes of God as powerless, ungodly, unrighteous sinners under the wrath of God, acting like his enemies. And he says, I'm going to die for you. And then we say, I ain't got time. Nah, I ain't got time for that. Some brother of Christ some sister of Christ were being, excuse me? When you put it in the context of a relationship, it makes common sense, doesn't it? But it stings really hard when you look at it through the eyes of a relationship. Oh my goodness, what have I been doing? After all he's done for me. It's almost as hard to imagine as this scenario. Check this out. Can you imagine if you were at a church prayer meeting when somebody runs in uh, from the parking lot and they yell, turn on the radio, turn on the radio. And while you listen, you discover that there's this mystery flu sweeping across the country, killing millions of people. And the doctors are working around the clock trying to find an antidote, but nothing is working. And just when all hope seemed lost, the news comes out, the code has been broken. A vaccine can be made, but it's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected yet. So everyone is asked to do one simple thing. Go to your local hospital and have your blood taken. So sure enough, you and your family go down with thousands of others and go get your blood taken in your local town there. And then all of a sudden, a doctor comes running out of the hospital screaming, waving a clipboard, yelling the name, and you can't believe your ears. Your son tugs at your jacket and he says, Daddy, 
That's me. And before you know it, they grabbed your boy while saying, it's okay, it's okay. Your son's blood is perfect. We, we can make the vaccine. And as the word begins to spread across the parking lot, thousands of people erupt with joy. Woo! But that's when the doctor comes over and he's no longer smiling like the rest of the crowd. And he says, we, we had no idea that it would be a little, little child. And we're not prepared. And, and I, I'm sorry, sir, we're going to need all his blood. And so he's stammering, you hesitate as the doctor continues. He says, we're, we're talking about the whole world here, sir. Please sign this consent form. We need it all. And so in numb silence, you do. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with your son before we begin? Now, can you imagine walking back into that room with your son on the table saying, Daddy, Mommy, what's going on? But before you can even answer, the doctor comes back and says, I'm sorry, we've got to get started. People all over the world are dying. Now, can you imagine having to leave? Can you imagine walking out while your son is still saying, Daddy, Mommy, why are you leaving me? And then can you imagine the very next week after it's all over, when they're having this global ceremony to honor your son's life, that some people actually sleep through it? That some don't even come because they want to go to the lake? And some of the folks that do come, they just have a phony smile just pretending to care. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you were that parent, wouldn't you just want to jump up and scream and say, my son died for you, don't you even care? Can you imagine that? We're doing the same thing as Christians. For 20 years I've been saved now. And for 20 years I've heard this stat. And it isn't here, it's everywhere I've ever been as a Christian. I've been on both sides of the coast now. And it's this. And it's so true we all laugh about it. 20% of people in the church do 100% of the work while 80% of the people do nothing. Excuse me? God gave us the life of His Son, didn't He? Didn't Jesus give His blood, all of it, to save the whole world? And then when we're asked, could you help get the gospel out? Could you help with the sanctuary? Could you help with this? Could you help with that? Could you serve here? Could you serve there? Could you help in the nursery? Could, can, you, can you do that? And we, well, all right. Let me finish this episode of Jeopardy first. Okay, because they got this awesome daily double. This guy's been winning for like six weeks in a row, man. No, I tell you, I, 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 let me just finish this best-selling book. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I, I, it's, it's a cliffhanger, man. I'm telling you, keep the pages turning. And I tell you what, uh, ooh, let's go meddling now. I, I, let, me, let, me, let me get on Facebook. I got to see, you know, check out this, and I got to do that before I can do that. Or, or then we get really creative. We say stuff like this. Um, well, you know, I really need to, I need to check my calendar. But if somebody asks you that exact same day to go to some sporting event, you blow everything out of the water for that. Oh, let me get one. Here, here's really going to meddling. We, we even spiritualize this behavior. Well, I need to pray about it first.
you really have to pray before you can stack a chair. Excuse me? <laughs> what? Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else from that is from the evil one. Knock it off, as if God doesn't know. Folks, we need to get back to serving with the true heart of why we serve. Just like in a normal, healthy, loving relationship, just like with those brothers, it's the natural, uh, natural, logical thing to do. Why do we do it? Because Jesus Christ died for us. And we're simply just paying it forward. Like this little boy is doing. Check this out. Here at the Ohio Air National Guard base near Toledo. This is the 180th fighter wing. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Daly still can't believe the honor recently bestowed upon him. It's incredible being recognized uh, in such a manner. It happened at a Cracker Barrel of all places. As the security camera shows, Lieutenant Colonel Daly entered the restaurant on February 7th for an early lunch. At about the same time, eight-year-old Miles Eckert came in with his family. Miles, in the green hoodie, was very excited. He just found a $20 bill in the parking lot. Just sitting there? Yeah. Did you start thinking of what you could spend it on? I kind of wanted to get a video game, but then I decided not to. He changed his mind when he saw that guy in uniform. Because he was a soldier, and soldiers remind me of my dad. And so, with his dad in mind, Miles wrapped the 20 in a note that read, Dear soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Signed, Miles Eckert, a Gold Star Kid. Army Sergeant Andy Eckert was killed in Iraq just five weeks after Miles was born. All the kid has ever had are pictures and dog tags. This is his wedding ring other people's memories, and his own imagination. I imagined him as a really nice person and somebody that would be really fun. <laughs> the dad he imagines must also love a good story. Because after lunch oh, that day, boy. Miles asked his mom, Tiffany, to make one more stop. Excellent. He wanted to go see his dad. Hmm. And he wanted to go by himself that day. She took this picture from the car. Follow the footsteps and you'll see Miles standing there behind the flag. Presumably telling his dad all about it. And whether heaven heard him or not, his good deed continues to impress here on earth. You've read it more than once? I look at it every day. Kid gave you a bigger gift than $20. Uh, a lifetime uh, uh, direction, for sure. Lieutenant Colonel Daly says he's already given away the 20 and plans to do much more. He also hopes that little green post-it will inspire other people across the country to give. To give as sincerely and dutifully as this father and son. I wonder if that's how God sees us when we're serving him as his children. Not hugging a a tombstone, but hugging the cross. In memory of the greatest soldier of all, Jesus Christ, who defeated the greatest enemy ever, Satan, whooped him on the cross so that we could be set free from sin. 
We're God's children. And when we serve as Christians, it's not because we have to. It's because we want to. And we want people to know and remember our Heavenly Father. And when we simply pay it forward, it inspires other people to think of Him as well. So they too could become His children. That's why we serve. And when you look at it as simple as it is, through the eyes of a relationship, a loving relationship, that churchianity baloney goes right out the window, doesn't it? You don't need to pray to stack chairs. You'll do whatever you can to hug the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal, okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars, okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that 
and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, 
to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.